look on a topic that has been quite uh, popular, I think you could say. Uh, the later years there has been uh, some preachers who have been uh, kind of advocating this very much. Uh, and then, of, as always within Christianity, you have those who maybe don't like what this group is saying, so they are fighting this group, and then this group gets irritated at this group, and then you have the whole uh, fighting going on, especially on Facebook. Uh, what I would like to talk about is this issue of grace and understanding grace. Because uh, I think it's one of these topics that today there has been many, I believe, well-meaning preachers, teachers who have been, uh, ha who have gotten a strong revelation of grace uh, and in their seal they have uh, kind of, I'm not sure if you could say that it distorted grace or that they made grace too amazing, because I don't think you can make grace too amazing. Uh, the grace of God is, you know, way beyond what we can uh, comprehend. But, but I think in some kind of way there have snuck in uh, a distortion, and we will try to look at that today, how, how we understand grace and how grace often is being misunderstood. Uh, one of the common tools that the devil uses to deceive Christians is that he takes a little bit of the truth and he sneaks in a little bit of his uh, own thoughts and then he mixes it, uh, the truth with the lies, so that it sometimes becomes hard to really distinguish what is true and what is not. Uh, and that has happened with this, uh, with this uh, issue of grace, because there is a lot of excellent teachings out there, and there are uh, people who have maybe gone too far on some issues that maybe in general are preaching good, what they're saying, not all of it is bad, but we need to be aware uh, where the distortion comes in and, and how this happens. Uh, and that is very often what the devil does when somebody gets a revelation of some, something. Instead of, how to say, just saying that's wrong or that's bad, he comes and he mixes in a little bit of, little bit of life together with the truth, and suddenly people very easily get misled or get confused. Another very good recipe for heresy, if you would like to have like a recipe for heresy, uh, a very good recipe for heresy is to take a little bit of the truth and make it the whole truth. When you take a little bit of the truth and make it the whole truth, then very quickly you end up in heresy. And that has happened maybe, for instance, with the, with the faith movement. Uh, some people got an amazing revelation of faith and suddenly everything becomes about faith. And then you have other groups who have gotten maybe a revelation of God's father heart and the love of God, and that's good. And then everything becomes the love of God. And they, they talk about nothing else but the love and the mercy and the father heart of God. That is good, but we need to watch out not to make a little bit of the truth, the whole truth. I believe in healing, but you know there are, there are people where 
everything they do, everything they say, everything, everything they teach us about is all about healing, healing, healing. And if you are sick, you are almost not saved anymore. Uh, I believe in healing, but we must watch out that we don't make a little bit of the truth the whole truth. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit, but again, we need to make sure that we don't make a little bit of the truth the whole truth. And that is the same also with grace. I believe in the grace of God. I believe that it's because of the grace of God that we are offered salvation. It's nothing we can uh, do to deserve it. Uh, our Christian, our whole Christian life is a life you know, of grace. The, the Holy Spirit that is given us, the, the ability, the, the gifts of the Spirit are gifts of grace. I don't think we can underestimate the importance of grace, but again, we need to be careful that we don't make a part of the truth the whole truth. Um, and because of a lack of understanding of this issue of grace, there has been some confusing, how to say, things happening when people are teaching. One of these things is that people are mixing God's general grace with God's saving grace. Because there is a difference, because there is a grace that God bestows upon everyone, all people. All people we can enjoy the grace of God. The fact that we are alive is a result of the grace of God. If it hadn't been for the grace of God, this world would not have survived. If it hadn't been for the grace of God, things would have gone totally, you know, anarchy, uh, end of the world. I mean, things would have gone totally, to say it in the way to hell, you know. If, if the devil had, had free reign to do whatever he wants to do. So, in one sense, there is a grace of God that is bestowed upon everyone. Whether they are good, whether they are bad, they can enjoy a certain, how to say, a, a general sense of God's grace. And Jesus talks about this in Matthew 5. Uh, we can read verse 44 and 45 just for the sake of uh, context. Matthew chapter 5, uh, 44 and 45. Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and uh, persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So here there is this grace of God that God just bestows upon everyone. The, the good, the evil, the just, the unjust, they all can enjoy the sun coming up, the warmth, the rain, the uh, the general goodness and mercy of God, he bestows upon everyone, no matter whether they are good or bad. But then there is a grace that I, that I would call saving grace, which is not bestowed automatically upon everyone. It is available for everyone. 
but it's not bestowed automatically on everyone. And sometimes Christians, they, they kind of get these two, they read scriptures about the general grace of God, and then they apply those scriptures on the saving grace of God. And then you end up with a heresy. Then, you, then it's not uh, biblical sound. We need to be able to separate what is the saving grace of God and what is the general grace of God. Uh, because contrary to what many people think, there is grace that God gives that is not given automatically to all people. Some people, they, they go like, what? Uh, what do you mean? Yes, the Bible is very clear that there, there is grace that God doesn't give to everyone. It, I believe it's available for everyone, but everyone doesn't automatically get it. That's why uh, Psalms 103.11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, or as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. Did you get that? For as the heaven are high above the earth, that's pretty high, is he mercy, is, uh, so great is his mercy towards who? Those who fear him. So the Bible makes clear that this grace, there is a grace here that is only available to those who fear him. That is great. That is not general grace. That the general grace is available for everyone. But here he talks about a grace that is only bestowed upon those who fear him. Uh, when it comes to saving grace, Romans 5, uh, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So here he talks about the grace that you gain access to by faith. So that is a grace that I, again, I believe it's available for everyone, but not everybody how to say, enters the door. And in this verse, the door is faith. Uh, and we will come more back to that later. So there is a grace that God bestows not on everyone, but on those who respond to God in faith, responds to the gospel. Those who get saved, they can enjoy uh, a saving grace, uh, which is not something they deserve. They don't have to work for it. But still, there are, how to say, things that we need to do as Christians. But still, that is not in order to get saved. Uh, that, that is something that God does inside of us. But we'll come to that later. But as we see in Romans here, it talks about a saving grace that we gain access to through faith. So I just wanted you, like in the very beginning when we start, I just wanted you to see that there is a saving grace and there is a general grace. And if we mix these scriptures together and read scriptures about God's general grace and applies that to God's saving grace, then we will end up with confusion. And then we will end up teaching something that the Bible doesn't really say. So, talking about grace, there is this idea that people have where 
it's almost like they have this understanding that in the Old Testament, then God was grumpy, he was angry, he was uh, kind of just looking for an opportunity to, to slay people. And then in the New Testament, we have Jesus coming, and suddenly it's almost like God has gone through some kind of uh, personal development, kind of dealing with his anger issues. So now suddenly God is happy and uh, kind and merciful, and they have almost these kind of two images of God, where there is one God in the Old Testament and a completely different God in the New Testament. But you know, the Bible is very clear that God doesn't change. The God of the Old Testament is exactly the same God as the God of the New Testament. And the God that Jesus came to reveal to people, because Jesus said that he had come to reveal the Father, uh, he, that he said that he was an image, he and the Father was one. The God that we see when we look at Jesus, that's exactly the same God that Moses and Abraham and David and all the people in the Old Testament, they believed in. So God is not, it's not that God has changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. What changed was God's covenant with, with people. Because in the Old Covenant, there was a covenant. He had, he had certain covenants that he made with, with Abraham, with Moses, with David. There were, there were certain covenants that was established and people had to relate to God on the basis of those covenants. And in the New Testament, there is a new covenant being introduced. So now I approach God not based on the laws and the regulations of the Old Covenant, but on the basis of the New Covenant, based on what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, there was a lot more we could say to that, but I just want you to see that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament, it's the same God. God hates sin just as much in the New Testament as he did in the Old Testament. Sin is just as serious. God hasn't changed. What has changed is the covenant that God has with man. Now, because of what Jesus did on the cross, we as humans, we have a new covenant with God that is not based on the laws of the old covenant. So I don't need to uh, sacrifice animals anymore because in this new covenant, Jesus, he was sacrificed once and for all. In the old covenant, there were certain, uh, you know, food you shouldn't eat and uh, all kinds of laws and regulations. Now I am saved. My, my relationship with God is through Jesus and what, through what Jesus had done. So I no longer need to come to God based on me fulfilling all the laws and the regulations. Now I can come to God based on the fact that Jesus did it for me. A lot more we could say about that, but it's just important that you see that God, he didn't change. In fact, the, the Bible in the Old Testament is very clear that God, he is a God of grace. Even in the Old Testament, as far back as Exodus, when God reveals himself, it says in Exodus 34, 5 to 6, now the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. 
And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth. That was in the Old Testament. That was how God revealed himself in the Old Testament. Psalms 86.15 But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and abund abundant in mercy and truth. So we see even, this is just two verses of many in the Old Testament that specifically talks about God being gracious, being merciful, being long-suffering, abounding in goodness and in truth. So God has not changed. God, he remains the same all through the Bible. God, he is not happy one day, angry another day. No, he, he stays the same. It's like James says that with, with God, there is no shifting shadows. He is always good. That, that is who he is. But you know, the fact that God is good doesn't mean that God is unjust. And this is an important concept that we need to grasp because it's very easy for us to get, when we see that God is a love, then we get so consumed by the idea that God is a love that that becomes the whole truth. But you know, there is more to God. God, he, at the same time as God is love, he is also holy. At the same time as God is holy, he is also righteous. At the same time as God is righteous, he is also a judge. All of these, all of these things are just different sides of the same God. And we cannot pick and choose and say, I only like the love of God, so I will only talk about God as love. No, we, we need to have the whole picture of God. We need to try to understand the whole revelation that the Bible brings us when it comes to God. And we need to understand that the fact is that God is good will never interfere with his judgments. That's very important. So just because God is a loving and good God doesn't mean that that will cloud his judgment so that he will look between the fingers when it comes to our sins and the things that we do wrong. No. The fact that God is good and that he is merciful and that he is love will never cloud his judgment. His judgment will stay true. His judgment will stay righteous. And as Paul says in Romans 11.22, talking to Christians in the New Testament, he says, therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God. On those who fell, severity, but towards you, goodness. And listen, if you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. So God is good, but it will never, God's goodness will never cloud his judgment and his righteousness. And you know, the gospel is not the good news that God will overlook your sins. 
The, the gospel is not a message saying that don't worry if you have sinned because Jesus took it all, so now it's all okay, so you don't have to worry about your sins anymore because now God will not deal with you according to your sins anymore. That's not the gospel. The gospel is not the message that God is overlooking or that God is looking between the fingers when it comes to uh, sin. No, the gospel is the message that God found a way to forgive our sins, forgive them, and at the same time maintaining His righteousness. So the gospel is the message that God found a way where He could forgive all our iniquities, forgive all our sins, and at the same time remain His righteousness. That's why Paul says in Romans 1, 16 to 17, he says that, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jews first and also for the Greek. And now listen, for in it, in what? In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Did you notice that? In the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So we see the gospel is not the message that you can just keep on sinning and everything will be okay because now God is merciful. No, the gospel is the message that God has found a way where we can get our sins cleansed. We can be washed clean and God can still maintain his righteousness in forgiving us. Colossians 2, 13 to 14. It says that you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirement that was against us, which was contrary to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. So we see that the gospel is the, is the message that God, he doesn't overlook our sin. God, it's not that God doesn't care anymore, but he has found a way to nail all those uh, wrong things that we have done. He nails it to the cross. He has found a way where we can be forgiven and where he still can maintain his righteousness. That is the gospel. And that is, this is so important that we understand when it comes to grace. Because grace is not a pillow for sinners to lay their head upon. And saying, oh, it's so good. You know, now God is gracious, so now I can just keep on living in sin. And everything will be okay because now we are under grace, so things will be good. No, that's not really the grace that the Bible talks about. Because the, the grace that the Bible talks about is not an excuse for lazy people who want to continue in their sin to hold on to. No, the grace is more powerful than that. The grace is not an excuse for you to keep on living in sin. Grace is the power to make you free from sin. 
Grace is not only that you will be forgiven for the wrong things you have done. Grace means that God gives you the power and the ability to live free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. That's why Paul says in Titus 2, 11 to 12, for the grace of God brings salvation, uh, the, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly and righteous and godly in the present age. So the grace is teaching me something. It's teaching me to live righteous and holy. It's not an excuse to live in sin, but it's the ability that God gives me to be free from sin, to live free from the dominion that sin had upon my life. We will take a break and then we will continue again a little bit on more this issue, but we'll take a short break and then we will continue again. <laughs> 